Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. All right, today I'm excited because you're here for the finale of our summer sermon series on the armor of God. We've called it Suit Up. I hope that this has been helpful for you to, rem- to remind yourselves the power of the armor of God that's at your disposal. The Bible says to put on the whole armor of God. Don't neglect one piece. That's why we've been taking our time going through each and every part of the armor. And, and we know that with Suit Up, we've, we've kind of gone on this superhero theme that when you see the superhero going through putting on the armor, they're getting ready for a battle. They're preparing for war. If there's no enemy, there's no need for protection and weapons. But you need armor because you're going to be attacked. And that's not to worry you, but it's to make you alert. Uh, That when you surrender your life to Christ, the enemy is going to attack you. I'm excited that last week we talked about the helmet of salvation. And there were two people that raised their hands to dedicate or rededicate their life to Christ. I had somebody on a card say, I'm, I'm, my life was changed today by Jesus Christ for the very first time. Can you give God praise that he's moving? He's moving on people. But we know when we give our life to Christ, that's not the end of the war. That's the beginning. That's when we need to pray all the more. When people get saved, when people get baptized in water, people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we need to cover them in prayer because they're getting ready for a battle. The Bible says that we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Now it says we do not, that is present tense. It's not we have not wrestled and we have. We will not and we will wrestle. We are in the middle of a battle right now today. If you're ignoring the battle, you might be losing the battle. Focus up and pay attention. We all need the armor of God. And typically with each part of the armor, we have shown a a, a clip of a movie of a superhero preparing for battle. And I want you to know that I saved the best clip for last I would take this superhero here against any other, against any Marvel, any DC comic, any villain, anyone else. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Bible Man. Let's watch this clip from Bible Man. Cypher, let's go pay Jordan a visit. Eunice, full armor sequence. I'm on station. Executing full armor sequence. Breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. Shoes of peace. Shoes of peace. Shield of faith. Shield of faith. Helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. Full armor sequence complete. And the sword of the spirit. I'll take the tunnel bike. Come on, isn't, doesn't anybody love Bible Man? Who remembers Bible Man from their childhood? If Bible Man wasn't in your childhood, I'm sorry. I, I pity you, really. You, you missed out. And it was a childhood treasure of mine. And I, I don't want to brag, but I actually got to see Bible Man live. So I don't know how many of you can say that, but I got to say that, see that in Youngstown. I know John did as well. 
uh, and he talks about it at the very end there in that incredible 90s uh, montage. That's just peak cinema right there. Incredible graphics, everything. Um, at the end, he talks about the sword of the spear. We don't see it, but the real ones know that he basically has a lightsaber, a yellow lightsaber as his sword of the spirit. Of course, the Star Wars fan in me as a young kid just geeked out over that. Uh, the sword of the spirit Let's read from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to just read that last verse together. Ephesians 6, 17, as we focus on the sword. It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's nice that Paul leaves no room for ambiguity, right? He explains very explicitly, the sword is the word of God. We're talking about the Bible. And I'm excited because today, you know, we've been talking over these weeks about defensive measures to protect you, but today we get to go on the offensive. <laughs> we get to talk about the attack that we have as a Christian. And I know that when we talk about swords, especially the boys in the room, our imagination can go all over the place, right? Anybody else have swords as a kid? We had lightsabers. You're playing with them with your brothers, and everything's fine until you hit somebody like in the pinky on the sword hilts, and all of a sudden they go into a rage, you know what I mean? It, it hurts, and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. You know, you kind of freak out. Uh, and there's something about buying a sword as a, as a guy. There's something about um, being able to kind of hold it in your hand. I know as a kid, we went on vacation to San Francisco one time, and we went shopping in the Chinatown area, and I found this little little set of Swords is probably too strong of a word, but a little dagger type of look. And, and we were told very clearly, this is not a toy. This is not to take out and challenge or threaten your brother with. You can have it on your nightstand. You can look at it. And not only did I buy something, but my older brother got to buy something a little bit bigger. He got to buy the replica sting uh, sword from the Lord of the Rings. And so again, we were told very seriously, this is not a toy. That is to be up, you know, on the wall, mounted, but occasionally, you know, when no one was looking, you might take it down and kind of wave it around a little bit. You just couldn't help yourself. There's something about a sword for a guy. But when we talk about references and, and the swords, I, I think about the Lord of the Rings and that first movie in the Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo's getting ready to take the ring. He's on this terribly difficult journey. And Aragorn says to him, you have my sword. What that means is that you have my defense, you have my weapon, I am going to support you and protect you. I think God is saying, you have my sword. It's called the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is giving you the sword to counter the attacks of the enemy. And there is no more powerful sword to wield than the Word of God. It's, it's so powerful. Look at Hebrews, what it says in Hebrews 4.12 about the power of the word of God. It says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's a great reminder that God's word is alive meaning it's as relevant today as it was back then. It's relevant today in this time, in this culture, as it was thousands of years ago. It's still sharp. It has not dulled over the years. 
Anybody with me this morning? It has not lost its touch with reality. It has the ability to divide, even today, what is true and what is not. It can divide truth from your feelings. Oh, this is how I feel. This is how I should act. No, no, no. That's not truth. That's your feelings. That's your emotions. Divide the two. It can discern what we're going through and what we need to hear. Has anybody found a verse, just stumbled across a verse and said, ooh, that hurt a little bit. That, that stung. That convicted me a little bit. I needed to hear. That's not what I wanted to hear. It's what I needed to hear. There can also be a scripture or verse that you come across that, that you're like, wow, that was, that was powerful. That was for me today. It's the living word of God. It can discern the thoughts and intentions. I might not be able to know what you're going through, but the word of God does. It is relevant to your life. And today I want to look at the weapon of the sword of the spirit. We know that our words are weapons. Think about the power of speaking the word of God into your life. So I want to look at what I believe is the greatest demonstration of using the word of God as a weapon against the enemy. I want to look at the temptation that Jesus endured in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. If you got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 4. We've got the sermon notes online. Version Bible app, you can search the Gathering Church. We've got notes for you to follow along. Luke chapter 4. Here's what it said, the first four verses. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. We're going to stop there. If you remember Right before this temptation, right before the fasting, Jesus has just been baptized in water and he's immediately led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to fast and to pray. Luke is very uh, specific with his account of the story. He says, after 40 days, Jesus was hungry. This is not hungry like you and me after we had lunch and it's been an hour and a half and we're like, mm, I'm getting a little snacky. No, 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 this is 40 days, only water. Jesus is feeling vulnerable. He is feeling weak and tired. And look who shows up at that point. We know that at our weakest point, that is when Satan comes to attack us. He doesn't say, oh, let me wait till you get better and I'll come back. He comes at our most vulnerable, weakest moment. And the first thing that the devil tries to do what is the first thing he says? He says, if you are the son of God. He questions his identity. If that's really who you are, does the devil ever question your identity? Ever wonder, are you really a child of God? How you've been acting, is that really how you're going to say who you say you are? Satan questions his identity. And then, and then he says, turn these rocks, these stones into bread. The problem here is that the devil is trying to tempt Jesus to trust in something 
instead of God. Trust in something more than God. We've got three points on the sword today. Number one is the sword is sufficient. The sword is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient for our needs. It's sufficient in the battle. It's not that Jesus couldn't eat bread at that time. It's that when Jesus was weak, Satan was tempting him to trust in bread instead of trusting in God to provide for him. There are a lot of parallels to this story, to the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus, 40 days fasting and praying. There were times that the people of Israel would complain that they didn't have anything. They didn't have any food. And God would provide for them manna from heaven. We're going to look at the three times that Jesus was attacked. And each time, Jesus responded with what? It is written. He stood on the word of God throughout his, tempta his temptations and trials. Only with the word of God can we attack as Christians. And I have to be careful. When we say the words attack as a Christian, that sounds wrong, right? That doesn't sound like how we should be. But remember, we're not attacking people. We're not attacking flesh and blood. We're attacking powers and principalities, the spiritual realm, okay? Don't take a sword and start hacking at people. That's not what I'm talking about our wars with powers and principalities. The word of God equips us. Read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You are complete and equipped, why? because of the inspired word of God. His word allows you to be sufficient and equipped for the battle. Equipped to do what is right when we're tempted to do what is wrong. It's important to remember what does and what does not make us sufficient. The enemy will try to tempt you that you're sufficient in yourself. You've got the great job, the benefits, the package, all that you could possibly want. You, you've got the, the family, you've got the dog, the white picket fence. You're sufficient in what you have. The word of God is the only thing that can keep us sufficient because what happens when those things fall away? What happens when there's a problem? All of a sudden we've put our faith and our hope in something of this world. We have to stand strong on the word of God. When Jesus said, it is written, he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It says the man, that man should not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The Israelites, they, they wandered in the wilderness struggling to survive, pleading for, for bread, not, not trusting in God, not putting their faith in God, saying God has is, God is basically brought us out here to kill us. He delivered us from Egypt, but now we're going to die. I'm sure God was in heaven saying, I've delivered you from Egypt. I took you out of slavery. I parted the Red Seas for you. You don't think I can give you bread to sustain you through this time? Where's your trust? Jesus' trust was what was written by the word of God. After Satan realized that he couldn't tempt Jesus by relying on something on this earth, look at what he said next. Read verse five through eight. It says, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to you whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. At first, the devil tries to question Jesus' identity. And second, the devil attempts to tempt Jesus with the authority and the glory that he could have on earth. Number one, the sword is sufficient. And number two, the sword is supreme. I have to be careful here because in one sense, Satan is the ruler of the world. But he's not the supreme authority. Look at what the, the devil says. He says, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me. When this world was cursed with sin, part of our punishment was that God gave authority to Satan. But he's not the supreme authority. We have the supreme authority through Jesus Christ. Even a fallen world can give glory to God. All glory and worship belong to God because he is the highest authority we don't call on the ruler of this world. We, we call on the ruler of the heavens and the earth, the maker of the heavens and the earth. He is the highest. He is the supreme authority. This feels like a good time to give you a story from my working past. Years ago, I worked at a fine, upstanding American institution created in the 1960s called Taco Bell. I worked at Taco Bell through high school and college for about five years. And when you work somewhere for, for a long time, you see a lot of turnover, especially in the, in the uh, fast food restaurant. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You see a lot of people come through those steps. A lot of people walk and leave, leave, uh, walk out the door. There was one person, well, there's a lot of people over the years, but there was one person in particular I struggled with a lot. We, we would just... We rubbed each other the wrong way. There was friction. I didn't agree with her a lot of time. Uh, her, her name was Cassie, and we just, we just struggled to get along, okay? We struggled to get along with each other, and my, my manager knew this, but she played the peacemaker. She's like, I'm just going to keep the peace, try to be nice to both of you. I know you disagree on some things, and it's okay. And her boss, the manager of all the different Taco Bells in the area, her name was Janet, and Janet was very, she was honed in on every single detail of all of her stores. She had, a, she had cameras in her stores. And wherever her office was, wherever she had her office, she would watch on those cameras and call our store if something was going wrong. And I'm not just talking about like a big, like a big problem was happening. I'm talking like you cut those onions in, incorrectly. You need to redo that. So you had to do everything right in case Janet was watching you. <laughs> But I stayed out of Janet's way as best as I could. Everyone tried to. They did not want to get in trouble. They did not want to mess with Janet. And one time there was a manager meeting, and our store manager was talking to the other managers about this girl, Cassie, that we, we struggled, we didn't get along very well, and how Cassie could become a manager. But then she said, well, the problem is her and Matt, they, they don't get along that well. There's some issues there. And Janet goes, what? She's not getting along with Matt? You tell Cassie to leave Matt alone. If she's got a problem, this is her problem, not Matt's problem. And I find out about this later. I said, oh, I've got, I've got favor with Janet. 
who can say that in the store? Because everyone gets the same look from Janet. You know, it's like always mean, always looking very stern at you. But I find out Janet liked me. I don't know what I did. I tried to stay out of her way, do the best job that I could. But sometimes we get so focused on the issues and the struggles and the wars here on earth that we don't think to call on a higher power. You know that when we have issues on this earth, we can call on the highest supreme authority that we have in God. All we have to do is call out to him and he's there. Jesus calls out to him by saying, it is written. He calls on the power of the word of God. Jesus defeated the authority of Satan by going to a higher power. He references Deuteronomy 6.13, where it says, It is the Lord your God that you shall fear, and him only shall you serve. It reminds me of the Israelites. They, they were struggling to worship God only. They, they set up a golden calf to bow down to instead when they felt like God wasn't there. But Jesus called on the highest authority. Look what happens when the devil came to Jesus a third time. Read verse 9 through 13. It says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This last temptation is tricky. It should actually, this should humble us. It should concern us. What did Satan tempt Jesus with? This time he starts with, if you're the son of God, questioning his identity again. But then he says, it is written. Satan questions the meaning of the word of God. Satan tries to use the word of God against Jesus. Satan uses the Bible to tempt Jesus with something that appears to line up with Scripture. But of course, we know that Satan's a liar, he's a deceiver, and he was misinterpreting this message, misinterpreting the Word of God. Our last point, we know the sword is sufficient, we know it's supreme, but it also, it must be studied. The sword takes studying. Friends, we have to be diligent to study the Bible because if we don't, we can be tricked by its meaning. Think for a second about an actual sword. You can't just pick up that sword one day and get ready to fight someone who's been a master swordsman for years. You have to train with that. You have to know the weight of it, how it moves. You have to prepare yourself. You have to equip yourself. You have to study your weapon. It takes years of practicing, and it takes years of studying the Bible. Because if you don't know what the Bible says for yourself, someone else will try to tell you what it says. That's why we give you notes. That's why we tell you, bring your Bible, because it's not about what I say. You need to find this out for yourself. You need to test this. I'm trying my best to study. I'm trying my best to bring the Word of God as it is written here. But you've got notes, and you've got the Bible for you to get into the Word of God yourself. 
You have to be prepared for attacks. You can't read it secondhand all of your life. Can I tell you something disturbing? The devil knows the Bible. He's, he's an expert on the Bible. He has spent years trying to conform the scripture to his will. I believe that's why we have so many issues in our culture. Think about saying, oh, God's love, so he'll never judge me. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what it says. It's because Jesus knew the word of God and the will of God that when the devil attempted to quote Psalm 91 incorrectly, Jesus could say, no, that's not what that means. You're not supposed to tempt God with faith. You're not supposed to, to, to push your will onto God. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. If we don't study his word, we cannot fight back against the lies of the enemy with the word of God. What do we have to stand on when we live in a culture that is twisting the word of God? We live in a culture where biblical literacy is at an all-time low. We don't know what it says for ourselves. We, we have to make sure we take the scripture in context. Don't take one verse out of context. That is going to lead you to wrong theology. I remember at one time in a youth small group, this was years ago. You know when you're looking up the scripture and you're saying, find verse so-and-so, and, and they start reading it, and you're like, that is not the verse I thought I put in there. It's because you're reading the wrong scripture. Oh, Matthew 8.3, 8.3, not 7.3. You know, does that ever happen to you? And, and this happened one time, and the person began to read the scripture on, it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? It's the, the eye of the needle. And they stopped after that and said, oh, that's the wrong scripture, and we, we began to move on. But then one of the students said, wait, does that mean if you're rich, you can't go to heaven? You didn't keep reading. It says, with God, after that, it says, with God, all things are possible. You have to read the context of the scripture. Don't get hung up on one verse taken out of context. There's a right and a wrong way to read the word of God. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If there's a right way to handle the word of truth, I think that means there's a wrong way to handle the word of truth. We have to do our best, work hard to study the word of God to make sure we're handling it correctly. When we study the Bible, read whole passages, learn for yourself, read commentaries, even do a little bit extra credit work, read those, those footnotes at the bottom. They can be helpful. You're like, Matt, I'm just doing good enough just to read a verse before I start my day. I understand you can't study it every single morning, but take some time. Every once in a while, read a commentary. It, it will become insightful to you. It'll actually make you hungrier for the word of God when you know it more. I think people quit trying to read the Bible because they don't understand it. And like, I'm tired of reading Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. This doesn't make any sense to me. Read a commentary with it. You'll understand more. God will make it come alive to you. You'll get more hungry for the word of God. But it takes studying. The sword is sufficient and supreme, but it takes studying. When we study the word of God, we are better at internalizing it and memorizing it. I don't know about you, but I want, I want to be ready with scripture when the doubts of the enemy come to me. 
Of course we have the Bible. We have it in our phones, in our pockets half the time. But there's something about having it in your mind automatically ready to push back against the attack of the enemy. That when you struggle and you feel anxious and depressed, you don't need to go to the scripture because you know the Bible says, God's not given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of power and love and sound mind. When you're struggling with bad thoughts, you can remember Philippians. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think on these things. Anything that's worthy of praise, keep my mind on these things. If you're dealing with temptation, you can say no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. Guard yourself with those words. If there's something you're struggling with, seek it out in the Bible, memorize it, and be ready to counter that attack. These scriptures, say them daily, say them over and over again. I believe that God is speaking to each one of us today saying, you have my sword. I've given it to you. You need to learn how to use it. If you don't study the sword, you cannot wield the sword. Be willing to study and equipped to use the word of God. Would you stand today as we close? Brent, would you come up and and play keys as we close? I'm going to close with all of us together reading the full passage of the armor of God. There's a reason we didn't do it at the beginning today. Because I want us all to say it out loud together. To say it with faith, knowing these are the different pieces, elements of the armor that God has given us. Let's read together Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Read it together. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the principal authorities, sorry against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Anyone thankful God has equipped you with the full armor of God? Amen. He's given you the protection. He's also given you the weapon. And as we close today, as we close this series on the armor of God, I want you to think about the armor of God one, one extra way, if you haven't thought about it this way. The armor of God was not original in this moment. It was actually created 
before this time, you can see elements of it in the Old Testament. Isaiah talks about it as the prophecy of Jesus coming to earth. Read Isaiah chapter 11, just this one verse here, verse five. It says, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. There are different pockets and areas of scripture where you see the prophecy of Jesus coming, that he would be the first one to show us the example of carrying the different pieces of armor. Know that when you suit up, when you put on the armor of God, you are putting on the Messiah. You are putting on Jesus. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. When you put on the armor of God, you're doing what would Jesus do? You're thinking like Jesus would think. You're having the mind of Christ. You're guarding your mind. You're ready with peace to give to one another. You are putting on Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we, as we pray to close this out? I wanna pray with, with one group of people in mind, and I know my hand's gonna go up for this as well. We know the sword is sufficient, I hope we do. I hope we know the sword is supreme, but sometimes it's a struggle to study the sword. And today, if you're saying, Matt, I wanna do a better job of studying the word of God. I, want, I wanna be better ready to counter the attacks of the enemy and be a student of the word of God. If that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, I wanna do a better job. You have hands everywhere. I want to study, I wanna be a student of your word. God, we thank you for your word. Your word of God sustains us. When the enemy tries to tempt us with the things of this world that are sufficient, we remind ourselves that sufficiency is only found in the word of God. And while we go through troubles and trials in this world, we know there's a higher authority. There's a supreme authority over it all in you, Jesus. And I ask, would you help us to be better students of the word of God? I pray this week ahead, that anytime they're getting ready to walk out the door to go to work or, or, or go to bed before they would think, wait, let me study a little bit. Let me get prepared. God, I pray that you would make the word of God come alive to us, that it would be active in our life, dividing what is right and what is wrong. So when the enemy comes to us or someone comes in our life with a question, we can send them the word of God into their life. Help us to internalize it. Help us to memorize it and be prepared. And help us to remind ourselves that we're putting on the armor of God. We're putting on the Messiah, the Christ inside of us. God, give us the mind of Christ to desire more of you, more of your word, what you say over our lives instead of what the world says. We thank you for this. We praise you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Can we give God praise one more time for his word, for his goodness to us? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. The gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.